This is an SM Media Production. Hello everyone and welcome to the fourth episode of the sit down right here on SM Media. I'm Scott McPike and I'm delighted to be here again. This week I've got a very special guest. He is the former spokesman for the Rangers Supporters Trust. He is now basically doing what I, I wish to do one day. He's head of his own network. He is the founder of the Heart and Hand Patreon network, the Rangers podcast. David Edgar. David, thanks very much for coming on. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the sit-down. Nah, it's nice to be here, Scott. Thanks for asking me. No problem at all. How have you been? How have you been doing through the coronavirus crisis? Um, yeah, same as everyone else, really. I'm trying to keep busy. I mean, obviously, what I do for a living is home-based anyway. So there hasn't been a huge effect in terms of that. But... We, you know, we've had to work very hard, obviously, throughout it because when it, we wanted to to kind of provide a bit more during it yeah. um, for our listeners, so we, we kind of upped our output a little, um, froze prices, and, and you know, for for people who were affected by COVID, we we made their subscriptions free, and uh, so it, it's been really, really busy. Uh, against that, though, same as anybody else. I mean, I, I, I've spoken about this. You know, you you get up in the morning. Some days it's getting better now, but you know, you just had this existential feeling of dread. I think yeah. you know, during a, for no reason. There was just you know, or not for no reason, but for nothing you could put your hand on, and and everybody was, uh, you know, it was just a year to get through. It still is just a year to get through. Um, and to come out at the other side because we've we've never faced it. This will be the most difficult. Hopefully, this will be the most difficult period in in all of our lives. And I think that we, you know, just as a as a people, desperately need to get back to normality. But I've been fortunate enough, as I say, to to have work to to focus yeah. on and to keep me busy. And you know, having the football back, uh, I'm I'm just a football anorak at, at the best of times. You yeah, know, I, I, do, I, yeah. I, I, yeah, I I watch. You know, apart from Rangers, I watch loads. So just having the game back is is massive for me as well. Yeah, I'll tell you how much you missed. Like, obviously, you've been quite lucky in the past kind of month or so to be one of the very few fans who've been able to go to the games. But obviously, in different circumstances. But how much? How much did you do you miss? Like. Been able to go where you are, the people usually went with and sitting in your old seat and things like that, just wee things like that. How big do you miss them? Uh, yeah, I mean, this is, this is, uh, I've not really spoken much about this because I, I feel that it's it's almost sort of um, uh, rubbing it into people because, as you say, I've been very fortunate. I've been able to get to quite a few of the games um, uh, doing the, the sort of the, the fan media thing. So, yeah. uh, you know, I I don't feel it's it's particularly valid to hear me complain. But but even on a Saturday, you know, I, I miss I miss going with my dad. I miss yeah. I miss all my pals. Um, I miss you know, and that doesn't mean for one second that I'm not sitting there, you know, grateful and incredibly grateful to to have the opportunity to do it. But you know, you you wish everybody was there. It's 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 not the same. Um, it, it's a really weird feeling to be sitting at Ibrox. And Rangers score a goal and there's virtually no noise. Um, yeah. it's, it's it's not something that you know I've experienced. It's not something that I particularly want to experience. And and you know a, a huge part of being 
a, a football fan is that shared experience as oh, being yeah. in the stadium together. There was a game even, you know, I've been going since what, 1986. And, you know, I've seen literally, I was going to say hundreds, it might even be thousands of football matches. Um, even last season, there was a game against Feyenoord where we scored and then the place was just going barmy. And it, I remember very specifically actually sitting back in my seat and kind of looking around and saying, take this in. You know, this is it. This is perfect. This is where you're supposed to be. This is yeah. home. You're here with all of your, you know, your fellow supporters. And, and people who don't like football don't get that. They can't understand it. You know, you get the kind of wee snider call. Oh, why, what do you mean we won? Did you do it? Oh, fuck off, mate, right? You know, the <laughs> people like that, they'll never understand it. They'll never understand that collective um, feeling that you get when you're part of that. And it's it's huge. Uh, so so I do miss it. I wouldn't though in any way try and you know I don't want people to go. Oh, it's all right for him. You know he gets to go. I am incredibly grateful for that. Yeah. Um, but I, I I cannot wait till till everyone's back. Oh, brilliant. Uh, we'll just talk about your early years. Just talk about like growing up and obviously what you were like at school and as well as that. Did you play kind of football and things like that when you were growing up? Yeah, I mean I was a kind of generation. The, you know, it was pretty much, yeah, that's what you did, you know. Um, you, you played football at, at school, playtime and lunchtime, and then after at home, changed at the back, play for, you know, till you get shouted in. Yeah. Um, and and that, that, that was it. And football, even as a wee boy, was totally your life. And you see photos of me, me as a kid, and I'll be wearing, you know, mainly Rangers stuff, but other football tops as well. And, where I lived, um, uh, I lived in, in Kilwinning in Ayrshire, and where I where my parents' house was was behind us. It was just basically it was a tiny estate. It's only like four streets, right? Sort of on the edge of town, but behind us, there's uh, there's a full size football pitch. There's a wee five a size pitch. There's like waste ground as well, and there's like a river. It, it was a pretty idyllic place for a kid you know, to grow up because, you know, you didn't have, didn't have a lot of money, but, you know, I had a ball and it, same as all kids back then, you know, when the golf was on the telly, when the open was on, we all had one golf club and yeah. a golf ball, you know, and we'd go out and we'd play golf and, you know, when Wimbledon was on tennis rack, wooden tennis racket and I've always played tennis. So, you know, you had that, that ability to, to just go out and, and as I say, you know, again, it sounds really almost kind of horribly old-fashioned but you know you did have the thing of right come on we'll go in you know two jackets down you know three aside and I was always a commentator I was always a kid you know when we were doing shooting in so my job was always to be because even as a wee boy I think I've always been kind of one of those I'm one of those those guys that, that you know, need to know about what I'm interested in. So yeah. even as a wee boy, I was like a voracious reader of football books and stats and all that kind of stuff. I loved all that. I've always loved that side of the the, the sport. So that nah, was, uh, you know, I, I, I think people might have, have heard jokes about co-winning over the year and the type of town it is. So I didn't have that experience that maybe people growing up in Glasgow had of, you know, banter between fans of opposite sides. Um, because in Kilwinnage, everybody sports Rangers. They're just yeah. that's it, it, it's it goes without saying, really. Um, so it was this uniform thing. So Rangers were just 
always hugely part of my life, um, almost by osmosis, you know, it was just from being three or four, I can remember, you know, Rangers being a big part of my life. And it it, it just was, you know, I, I, nobody sat down and said, right, we're going to make David. Well, not that I know of. <laughs> my dad could have been singing the Blue Bells are Blue to me while I was asleep. I don't know. But it was just, it, it, it just has always been there. It's just always been a big part of my life. Yeah. When obviously you're saying you grew up a Rangers fan, you kind of grew up a Rangers fan just at the right time because uh, you said your first was when was your first game? Do you remember that? First game was August '86. Um, right. Sunis's first first game at Ibrox. So, yeah. so, um, so you can come in just at the time when Sunis takes over. Obviously, before yep. then, it's a bit of a mess. I think the Rangers finished fifth that season. Am I right? We did, yeah, the year before. Um, and, and, you know, growing up as a wee boy, uh, just before that, you know, Aberdeen were like the best team in Scotland by a yeah. distance. You know, it was Alex Ferguson's Aberdeen. And, you know, Rangers were just really also runs, you know. There's, there's no, I remember watching us win the League Cup um, a couple of times. And when you're, you know, seven, League Cup, World Cups are the same, isn't it? It's a shiny yeah. thing. Yeah. But you could te- you could tell from the growing ups that it, it wasn't you know it wasn't what it was supposed to be. And then you know you, you I, I grew up where Rangers winning every week wasn't you know it wasn't a given. And there were plenty of in that era kind of really piss poor defeats. So you know I was able to. It wasn't just you know, like success all the way, if I'd maybe been a couple of years older. Um, but I remember, you know, soon as coming in and, and I remember my, I'll always remember, you know, sitting in the, the hall because back then, you know, pre-mobile phones, the, the phone would be in the hall and you'd be a phone table. And I remember, you know, my mum going, oh, it's your cousin Alex for you. And he went, Graham Soonis is a new Rangers manager. I'm like, no way! Right, because he was Scotland captain, Liverpool playing in Italy. Wow, I can't believe it. And then that summer was just unbelievable. You know, the guys arriving, you know, the the, the players from England and everything. It was just incredible. And then getting to to start to go to the games. I don't think my dad had been wanting to take me there. I think he thought I was still a bit too young. Right. Um, even then, but I think that he knew there was something special going on and that, you know, he didn't want me to miss out on this and look back years later and go, I could have been there that year and, and never got to. So even though I think he'd maybe would have, and he's, you know, if he'd, if, if he'd had a plan of when he start taking me to the game, um, it would have been a couple of years later. Right. I think that he, he thought, nah. And, and plus, you know, I I, I was... I, I wasn't the wee boy that was going to get bored at the football. I wasn't the wee boy that, you know, you needed to take, would want you leave after an hour because he was bored, you know? I mean, yeah. I could, I, I would quite happily sit and watch 90 minutes of football. I would quite happily sit and watch all day of football. So um, I went along and, and I've, I've never stopped since. Brilliant. Who was your kind of heroes back then? Like, obviously, Kind of butcher and Woods and the likes of Wilkins come in that season, but have you did you have heroes growing up? Yeah, I mean, early 80s, um, one will be obvious and one maybe not so much. Davy Cooper was the the first one, and all Rangers fans of that year, all the kids, 
you know, Davy Cooper because he was clearly the best player by a mile. The yeah. other one, though, was Ian Ferguson, the, right, the okay. two eyes, you know, um, because, yeah, he was a striker and he got the winning goal in the cup final against the United in, in 84 and uh, goals against Inter Milan. Um, and then Ali McCoy started to come through, even just before Sunas, um, Ali McCoy started to, to come through in that era. So, um then in the eighties, yeah, you know, it was you, you just had this team of superstars really and, and you guys arrived in left, right, and centre. Yeah. Um Ali, Ali McCoy for me, I loved um, Ian Durant and Ian Ferguson in particular. I I just uh, I loved Ian Ferguson, still do. Um and, and again, you know, Bears that maybe were a wee bit younger and grew up in the nineties might know him as a kinda tough tackling midfielder, but when he first arrived from St. Mirren, he was like an attacking midfielder, he was a goal scoring midfielder. Yeah. Um and he was, you know, he was young and cool and, um, yeah, a Rangers fan. He, he was somebody that I just absolutely adored. But it was always, you know, Ali McCoy for me. He was always number one. Brilliant. Uh, obviously, when Sunis is there, like, towards the end of his spell, it gets a bit, you know, Sunis versus SFA and there's a lot of problems. Like, what actually happened there, like... We hear stories about the tea lady at St. Johnson and things like that, but what actually was the reason he left? I think you're right. I think he just... I don't think Scottish football was big enough for him, in all right. honesty. I think that after a while, he did begin to feel confined by it. And I think the pettiness of it wore him down. Like, you, you know, the SFA thing you remember. I think that that sort of thing... And, you know, a tea lady giving him abuse and becoming like a national hero. And I think he's like, what the, you know, yeah. what the hell is going on, you know? And I think it just began to wear him down um, after a while. And, and, you know, he hadn't been in Scotland for since he was a teenager. You know, he'd gone down to England to play and he'd, he'd been away his whole career. So I think that he, he chafed a wee bit at the, the parochialism, really, of the game in Scotland. He's not the first and he won't be the last. Um, and then when Liverpool came in for it, Liverpool are his club. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that it was always going to be uh, an attractive offer to him when the offer came. So I think that that was, was why he decided to go. But it was uh, just a monumental blow to me as, you know, I'd be, what, 13 uh, at the time and... and to me, him leaving was, you know, it was kind of like my parents getting divorced, you know. It was just, this is this is hellish, you know. I mean, he's not going to be our manager now. He's not going to be there. Um, and I think that, that that him going was was just monumental, really. But Walter, of course, came in, steadied the boat, won as a title that year, and then, you know, went on and built that amazing team. And... Little did we know that it was actually at the start, really, or something, rather than at the end of something. But I, I do, I think that just after a while, he kind of just felt constrained um, and he needed that the bigger stage, if you like, that, that England offered him. Just before we move on to, obviously, nine in a row, but uh, David Murray, who we'll get on to later on in the show, you, you've got a personal history with him, but he, want, he wanted Sunnis out. Towards the end, yeah, oh yeah, no, well, um, not, not he wanted them sacked or anything. No, yeah. it was more just that what happened as soon as got the offer from Liverpool, um, and he said to, I think it was the start of April, 
and he said to, to Murray, I'll stay at the end of the season. And Murray went, now you'll go now. If you're leaving, you're going today. Um, and it was very firm on it. Um, and it was a, 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 a very brave decision because it would have been a lot easier, I'm sure, to just say, no, no, all right, cool, yeah, stay at the end of the season. But he was, no, nah, you won't be focused, you're, you're going. I want yeah. guys here that are committed. Um, and, you know, as soon as showing the door that day, and uh, the, the press conference is on YouTube, um, yeah. you can see, and, and Murray says, you know, Graham was willing to stay, but I said you're going. Um, and then pretty quickly appointed Walter um, full-time to the job. Uh, which was a wee bit of a surprise to me. Maybe, you know, older players that, that, that knew the situation a wee bit more, but the papers were full of names, like George Graham, who was the Arsenal manager, Franz Beckenbauer, um, yeah. who you know, led Germany at the World Cup. So these really exciting names. And then Walter Smith, you know, really. Um, but, of course, it, it turned out to be, you know, I was, and then, you know, now uh, it, it seems silly to think that you were kind of hoping for anybody else. But um, very quickly, you you kind of realised why he'd been appointed. Yeah. Walter Smith comes in and it's seven seasons of success. He wins the league. He wins nine in a row. Just what are your memories for nine in a row from that whole period? Obviously, the 92-93 season will probably be up there. Mm. What are kind of some of the memories you remember? Well, personally for me, that was when I became... You know, a teenager, um, and you know, started going to the, the pub before the games and all that. So it was a great time, really, to be um, getting into that and going to away games and starting to really follow uh, that that wee bit closer. And yeah, it was it, it was a really exciting time. Um, Rangers had money. Uh, we we signed these these amazing star players. The regular signings coming in, um, and there was there was success. And and to be honest, I was a bit spoiled. Um, I think you know I, I dare say a lot of Rangers fans my age would, would say the same because it wasn't that we demanded to win the title every year. It was sort of we expected it. Yeah. You know, like as a basic, you know, that of course we're going to win the league. Right, that's what we do. Um, and the, the the standards that that we held the side to were ridiculously high. Um, because you just, yeah, of course we're going to win the league. That's what we do. Um, Celtic were a joke at the time. Yeah. Um, like so, this this is going to sound really odd to anybody who didn't experience it. They, they weren't even on your radar. You know, they, they they were so far away from us that they weren't a consideration. Right. Because we were looking to the future, you know, like much further away from them, and we were like, well, we're going to win the league. They're not going to get anywhere near us, and then. It's about what we do in Europe. And then they sort of got their act together a bit in the mid-90s. And then it sort of changed where it became more of a challenge and we got closer to the nine and you focused in on that. Um, and, and, you know, these wonderful players, Loudrup, Gascoigne, Haley, all these you know, amazing, magnificent footballers are, are there. Um, and you had Rangers sides playing some great stuff. You, as I say, every summer you would get these, these huge signings coming in. Um, it, it was a really cool and exciting time to be a Rangers fan. Yeah, I just listened a couple of weeks ago when Walter Smith was on Rangers TV. He spoke about basically his performances in Europe ultimately led him to his kind of losing his job. But I find that crazy the fact that he won so many trophies. But if you look back at some of the results in Europe, it's it does make a bit of sense because Europe was the ultimate goal to get. Obviously, mm. Murray wanted Europe. The kind of European success, probably more than he did anything else. But did well, they, back then, did we they were spending. Out, yeah. 
Oh, hugely, yeah. God, yeah. Um, you know, any Rangers fan that tells you that back then it wasn't a bone of contention, it really was because we wanted to win the European Cup. As as odd as that might sound now, in the mid-90s, I truly believed that we could win the, the Champions League. And I know that, that ridiculous idea for a Scottish team to believe it, but there was a wee window at the start. And right. we were spending all that. We weren't spending this money to... It's a bit like PSG now, you know? Yeah. We weren't spending that money to just dominate the domestic league. We were spending that money to be better in Europe. And we get that great run in 92, 93. And that just, the glamour of it, because remember, that's the first Champions League year. Right. And yeah. this new thing just seemed, oh, you know, it's still the most glamorous competition in the world. But back then, when it was new as well, um, and we have that amazing run, and we're now looking forward, can we go on better? You know, can we, can we, can we go on and win it? Yeah. following year we get knocked to it yeah. then we, we go through that period of getting to the Champions League but getting humiliated in it and and I mean you know, people remember the Juventus games yeah. awful but then we started losing to teams that we shouldn't be losing to you know Grasshopper and Bugzer uh, and, and things like that average sides that the Angels should have been beaten and it culminates at the start of 97-98 we drop Gothenburg lose so don't get into the Champions League terrible Right, and I mean the money again that had been spent that summer. Yeah, we then go and play Strasbourg, who are like you know seventeenth, I think, at the time in the French league, and they beat us home and away, and that was the result that did it because it was like not only are we not where we should be in Europe, we're actually getting further away. Yeah, um, and strangely enough, Walter, if you look at his first spell, his European record is is awful. Overall, it's very poor, bar that one year. Yeah. Um, and then he comes back and he had learned so much and obviously the financial circumstances were different and he, he just, you know, it, it, he flips it. Um, but in that first period, it was a constant refrain uh, of, we're getting worse. You know, we're not getting better, but we were still capable of delivering domestic trophies. And that was you know, obviously huge, especially as we got closer to the nine and, and then, you know, didn't, didn't get the 10, unfortunately. But uh, that then became the overriding concern of it. Um, but even so, that the Strasbourg defeat was just one humiliation too many. Yeah. Obviously, when Smith leaves after the disappointment in a 10 in a row, it's Dick Advocat that gets the job. Oh, at, the, at the time, how big a buzz was it to get a foreign manager, particularly one who was proven to be very, very good. Yeah, I think there was a feeling that getting in somebody that was, you know, a tactician, because I think it was sort of felt at the time that Walter wasn't, um, that wasn't his strength, you know, he's a motivator and whatnot, but getting in somebody that that had a plan of how we're going to play um, was, was very exciting. And then that summer of, of 98, where, you know, we signed... 15 players, something like that, and yeah. big sign, you know, like millions of pounds of signings was incredibly exciting. Um, and you just thought that we're gonna, you know, that, that we're gonna see the difference. And I think to be fair, we did in Europe, although we don't, um, maybe achieve as much as well, we don't achieve as much as, as we would have wanted for the spend. You can't say he didn't improve us, you know, the humiliations. Yeah were over and we were beating sides and we were difficult to play um, as opposed to 
you know, anybody decent coming up against us was going to beat us. Uh, instead, you know, we were, were capable and we underachieved, I think, slightly. We should have got through the Champions League group stage at least once. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But, uh, you know, there's some great results in there. You know, Monaco, etc. Parma, of course, stands out. Yeah. But um, I, I think you saw the difference of a, of a European-style coach coming in when we got to that level. And as well as that, like when he comes in, he obviously spent as a, a blank checkbook. Obviously, in hindsight, that probably led to kind of what we got later on. But getting the kind of players in, like Arthur Newman, Giovanni Van Bronckhorst, the one that always sticks out to me was Stefan Kloss, like a, war, a Champions League winner coming in for, I think it was a, it was a very small fee. And he came in because Sherboni was injured. Like, how big a buzz was that just to have the kind of players and that kind of money getting spent again? Like it was a, it was an all like forty five million that first season advocate. To be honest, you were used to it, um, right. and you kind of again this might seem extraordinary now, but you sort of expected it. I mean, it was cool and it was fun and you enjoyed it, but it wasn't like you were surprised by it because you know we'd all, we'd been doing it now for like 15 years we've been spending big and, and we, we just expected that that would continue really um and that murray would murray had always been it was his money that he was putting in and and that therefore you know that the tap wouldn't wouldn't turn off so you you expected a, a level of player to come in um and you expected us to be able to compete and i think that you saw round about 2000 you began to see that there were there had always been a level above, don't get me wrong, that, you know, the Italian teams back then, right, like the top level yeah. that, we could, that we couldn't get. But we certainly could get the, you know, the next level down. And it, as I say, it was exciting and it was fun, but it wasn't unexpected and it wasn't a novelty. It was sort of kind of what we were used to at that point. And is this around the time you joined the, the Rangers Supporters Trust? No, that was a wee bit later. That was 2003, I think, um, the Trust formed. And, and that was because, you know, for, for years when I was growing up, I was, you know, because we were winning things, as you said. Yeah. And I remember there was just this kind of gnawing feeling towards, and again, a wee bit spoiled, I admit that, but that we maybe, you know, things weren't all that they should be. And I was reading Follow Follow fanzine and, and the writers and that were kind of saying, you know, where's this money coming from? And, yeah. uh, you know, we're, we're, we're spending all this money to, to get into the champion, you know, to, to do things in the Champions League and we're not doing it, you know? Um, and then uh, the the debt came out and it was like 80 million. Yeah. And Murray was stood two, down. Was that 2002? 2002, yeah. And, yeah. and you're like, well, how the hell are we going to trade it at 80 million, you know? Um and and also I thought it was his money. So yeah. why are we in debt, you know? Um and then he steps down and McClelland, who's a cost cutter, comes in and Rangers, you know, do start as we know the, the summer of two thousand three, there's that huge fire sale of yeah. players and, and, and uh, you know, suddenly we're having to pay the bills. But he'd never told us that these bills were coming along and I was yeah. just, I was kind of shocked by it, to be honest. So when the trust formed, um, I was kind of, you know, I, I knew people who were involved in it, um, Mark Dingwall and, and Scott Vandenacker, guys like that, Fraser Martin. 
but I didn't join initially. Um, and then after a wee while, they said to me, do you want to join the, the board, basically, of the Supporters Trust? And I said, yeah, sure. So I went in, but I mean, just wasn't, you know, there was no grand master plan or anything. It was more just, yeah. I'm going to, you know, you need me to hand out leaflets or, you know, take money at the door of a function, that kind of thing. It wasn't, it wasn't going to be anything, anything huge. Um, and then what happened was there was a bit of a kind of change. Some people left um, and they said, right, we need somebody to do the media. Uh, and my friend, Stephen, uh, Stephen Smith, he said, well, I'm going to do the media, but he lives in England. So he was like, I can't do, you know, interviews if they happen on the day. So I'll right. do the press releases and you do the interviews. And I'm you know, a cocky wee shite at the time. So I was like, oh, sure, you know, why not? <laughs> um, and from there, everything kind of, that happened kind of kind of went from there and then obviously you know it's such a you know it's such a, a kind of pivotal time yeah in the club's history that uh you know that that we were going to be asked to comment on some big events within the club you know not particularly influencing them but just you know being involved and um and it was a strange time because you had people didn't want to believe what we were saying, and I can understand that. And I mean, as I've said before, we failed. You know, I don't pretend that that we were, you know, in any way successful because what happened happened, and we were trying. I'm not sure we could have stopped. It, you know, don't get yeah. me wrong, but we, you know, we knew what was going to happen. And and Mark always talked about people need to make the journey. Um, I remember once in particular, I said, you know, this this ends badly for us. I said that in a radio interview, I'm like, you know, this 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 can end really badly. I don't think people understand and tons of abuse. And I understand why now because people didn't didn't want to hear it. Yeah. It was a lot easier if you've got you know some wee asshole who you don't know, who's a cocky wee prick who is telling you disaster is coming. And then you've got the Rangers chairman telling you, no, it isn't. Yeah. He's wrong. He's just, you know, trying to get attention. Ignore him and listen to me. Then I totally understand why people, you know, decided that they were going to follow um, him. I, I, I didn't at the time because I had that sort of young guy's energy of, bam, right, you know, <laughs> as if that'll as if that'll trump everything. But I know I'm right. You know, why won't they listen to me in life? Doesn't they work like that? Um, and I think that, that that was part of the problem. That was a wee bit too kind of just shouting at people, you know. But, but look what's coming. Look what's coming. But the worst part of it was that you, you did know. Yeah, you know, I, I wish. And I, I wanted to be wrong. But I knew I was, that was the problem. We knew we weren't. We knew how this ended up. Didn't think it would get as bad. Yeah, us, you know, we, we didn't think it would get as bad as it got. But um, you know, it, it was just once once you sort of once you'd got past the Murray thing, and I had to do. It, everybody had to do it because he was such a huge influence on the club, and he was such a huge part of the club when I was growing up. I mean, yeah. I loved him when I was Aye. growing up. You know, he was he was he was this young, dynamic, go ahead chairman who was bankrolling all this stuff. I thought. Um, to then have to kind of think the emperor's not wearing any clothes was was tough. But see, once you had done that, and once you had sort of broken that that emotional bond, 
yeah. and you just started to look at the facts. Then you you know you looked at the books and you looked at the the future. That was when you began to 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 know that this doesn't end well. This cannot end well. Again, I didn't think it would end as badly as it did, and there was a lot of stuff that went on to cause that, yeah. um, as we, as we know. But even so, it was quite clear that at some point something very unpleasant was going to happen. Um, but unfortunately, and as I say, maybe looking back, there was nothing anybody could have done at that point. It was just it was too far gone. Yeah. So obviously, then, like when you say, well, like you've you're kind of in the. How do you handle the criticism at that time, like from fans who are basically not wanting to believe what you're saying and what you're what you're saying is coming is what people need to hear back then? How do you handle that as a as a media as like the, the spokesperson for the the trust? I, it was difficult because you still have to go about your life on a daily basis. You know, you still have to live in the city, and um, yeah, one of one of the, the, the and I understand that it must have been irritating. I mean, I know for a fact that I got pissed off with hearing from me at the end. That was one of the reasons I stopped. Right. I was sick of me. Um, so it must have been irritating as all hell to people that, you know, you turn on the radio, I'm there, they, they pick up a paper, there's a quote from me, they turn on Scotland Today, there's me, they turn on Scotland there's me, you know, and, and it, it must have been irritating. And I get it. it it's It's absolutely natural we think oh this asshole again um and i get that so there was that but then when you're doing all that i'm still going to work every yeah. day you know and i'm still i'm still going for a beer and therefore you can't get away from it so you know i'll, I'll be sitting in the pub for my wife and some guy comes up and has a go. And don't get me wrong sometimes people would come up and go i totally agree with you you know doing a good job but you were always aware of it yeah and it was like you know, the Z-list fame, don't get me wrong, but even that, you know, that wee bit of people knowing who you were, um, but you're just an ordinary guy, you know, it's not like you're sitting behind the VIP rope or anything, you know, yeah. um, that that was was difficult. And against that, I have to balance and say, I did it. I put myself forward for nobody put a gun to my head. So the stuff that came along was a part of that. And at the end of the day, I made the decision to do it. So I don't, I'm not saying this as an, I can all feel sorry for me because that was a part of it. And I chose, I didn't know, but it was down to me to find out. And, you know, the, some of the stuff is valid. See, when people say, you know, at the start, you were an attention seeker, well, let's be honest, I was, you know. Yeah. Um, but, but it was part of my job as, as a trust spokesman. I was trying to get attention for, the trust, but yeah, you know, I'm, I'm 25, 26, um, and people are, you know, like, do you want to come on the TV? Do you want to come on and talk about Rangers? Of course, you know, yeah, brilliant. Oh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. Look at me, Definitely. the big I am, you know, and I, I'll admit to that, that, that is a, a, a failing on my part, you know. Um, it went away pretty fucking quickly, I can tell you that. <laughs> once, as I say, once you get people starting to, um, and it, it's not pleasant, you know, you get, you get shit from the opposite. The, the opposition fans and that's that's okay because you understand that you know you deserve it in fact because I'm out there I'm trying to annoy them <laughs> you know yeah. I mean, that was one of the things about any of the media stuff I did was that I hated this kind of 
at the time it was you know the whole sectarianism thing and Rangers fans apologising for being Rangers fans and I hated that you know and I still do it was get off up your knees you know yeah. um, I, I was very abrasive um, I think is is probably the right word about it I was you know I am a you know, I'm a Rangers fan if you've got a problem with that tough right um, uh, so I understood that when it's coming from your own it hurts. No matter, even oh, if it's justified, no matter, no matter even if you're wrong. Uh, and I was plenty, incidentally, and my style of, of communicating wasn't all that it, it could or should have been. But it, it still hurts, you know, when you've got Rangers fans, you know, calling you a bellend or whatever, or, you know, it, it, it's not very nice. And then when it got really heavy um, and, you know, you, you've got like, you know, Couples at your door advising you not to go to Ibrox and stuff. Then it's that's that's when it's kind of like, what am I doing here? Because you know you're not making any money off it already, and you're right. and in fact you're you're you know I mean at work I'd be getting called in and told you know David Murray on the phone he's a very powerful guy don't you know, stop annoying him basically or we're going to have to let you go. So it was tough because it did have an impact on your family life and it does have. Um, and like I say, you know, you're, I was 26, 27, I'm thinking I'm, you know, all powerful, or I know what I'm doing, I'm, I've got the zeal of the righteous, uh, I'm going to be, you know, uh, if only people listen to me. And it's, you then have to play the kind of reality of, of you know, you're going up against guys who are much brighter, stronger, tougher than you are. And yeah. they are going to they are going to win because they can put up with us and you can't, right. uh, and they know that, and that that is what happened to me and and it is it's sore and and it hurts and as I say you couldn't escape it because it was my life and that that's the thing there wasn't the ability to just ever turn off from it it was all the time, and. I do need to balance that by saying there were still some amazing experiences. I still got to do some amazing, cool things doing it, and I wouldn't change it. And at the end of the day, I can look back and say, I tried. I failed, but I tried, and my conscience is clear on that. Did I do it the right way? That's a different thing. You know, yeah, you are entitled right. to say, actually, no, you didn't. You should have done this. You should have done that. You could have done this. All of that is valid. But just from my own sense of kind of I don't know of being a fan then I think it was important to at least have a go as as ill-judged and, and unsuccessful as it proved to be that at least uh, I kind of did my best my best wasn't good enough but yeah I gave it yeah well you're well you're there obviously you have you, you are on making a television and radio quite a lot back then do you have can I any did you have any good relationships with like journalists and people on the television back then uh, well, yeah, I mean, um, you know, you'd, you'd get to know some of them. And, and don't get me wrong, it's a... Uh, <sighs> uh, what's, what's the right word? They're using you, but you're kind of using them too. Yeah. Um, in a way. And I think that any naivety goes away quite quickly about it. The first time you get fitted up by them. Um, and by that, what I mean is they'll do an interview with you, right? And it'll be... They'll talk to you for 20 minutes, right? And then, you know, in an unguarded moment, you'll let something slip. Uh, and that's what they use. And then the next day, you know, you're getting like you've said something wild and you're like, but that, you know, that's out of context. 
that's just the game. And then they'll come and you know, they'll talk to you the next day and they, they can't see why you're upset because that's just, you know, that's what they do. Yeah. Um, they're after a headline. So you, once you get a wee bit more used to it, you then realise, I want to say something. So therefore I'm going to say it. And that's why you get, and I, I know people have seen these clips of um, like politicians where they just say the same thing over and over in different ways. Yeah. But, but that's because they just get asked the same question over and over in different ways. Yeah. And, you know, that when they're asking me about something, they don't want me to say, yes, I, I think Rangers have got a good chance of winning the title this season. What they want me to say is, yes, obviously I want to set fire to, you know, a nunnery. Um, that's, that's more of a story for them. That's yeah. what they're after. And you just, you, you, you have to kind of realise that. But you can have a relationship to a degree. But at the end of the day, you know, it's their job. And they will, uh, they will you know, screw you over in a heartbeat to, to do something, which is you know, fair enough. That's, that's the rules of engagement. Um, but it, it went both ways. You know, sometimes we'd have a story that we'd like to get. And if you had a journalist that you had a decent relationship with, they would put something out for you. Um, I don't mean, by the way, I don't mean like, underhandedly um yeah you know it would be we're issuing a press release would you carry it in your paper it was you know it was all like, above board but then in return they'll come to you and say davy we need a quote on this um and you might not necessarily want to but you know equally right okay well he put that thing in the paper last week and that that kind of relationship what's it but you know there was some you could go for a drink with there was some um you know that you wouldn't have anything to do with um, it's just the same as everywhere really, isn't it? Yeah. One person you didn't have a good relationship with was Graham Spears, who mm. isn't very popular with Rangers fans. Just talk me no. through the talk me through the interview that you conducted with him. Was that it was in real radio, I think. Was that right? It's on YouTube. I've... No, uh, yeah, no, that one was the BBC. Was um it? And that, that's what I mean about inexperience, right? The BBC phoned me, David, can you come on the show tonight? No, sorry, I'm actually out for dinner. Oh, it's okay, we can phone you, we'll only be five minutes. Right. All right, okay, sure. Um, just, just step outside the restaurant. No problem. I was out for an hour. Yeah. And, you know, fucking zero temperatures in Glasgow in December. <laughs> um, and he's in the studio. And, yeah, I've got my... Arse handed to me. Got to, I mean, I'm half cut as well, which doesn't help by this stage because it's two hours after the phone, and I think they've forgotten. Um, and yeah, I, I got my arse handed to me. Um, so I think it was about a week later. Could you come back on because they got good numbers for it? And I said, Yeah, but I'm coming out of the studio or I'm not doing it. No, I, of course, of course. And then it was different. Um, yeah. The, the the thing was, you know, for again, you know, growing up, you would see these guys on the TV and in papers, and the, there was a lot more respect, I think, at that time for the institution of the press, um, and what it represented. You know, that the, the they were seen as kind of powerful, um, and then you know, when I was meeting them, there were some that were very bright and they were like, okay, but there were a lot where I'm like. Wow, <laughs> you know, there's not a lot going on underneath that, and you know, I I think that with Spears, um, I was just because he was, you know, he he set himself up as being a very intellectual guy and be very very intelligent. Uh, that was his, his kind of shtick, 
Um, and then once you, you sort of spoke to them, you would realise maybe not. And again, I, I go back, you know, I'm, I, was, I was quite cocky wee guy and, and I was like, nah, I'm, I'm brighter than you. You know, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win an argument with you. And I, I didn't feel like that with all of them, but with him, certainly. And, you know, then it was different than, you know, wipe my ass with them. So it was, it, it was a different set of circumstances. But again, I think that that's a learning curve. The first time I got ambushed, I didn't expect to be ambushed. I wouldn't yeah. have done that to somebody. You wouldn't have done that to somebody. Therefore, I suspected. I mean, he phoned me once. We were both going on Radio Scotland. He phoned me at my work. And he said, uh, you know, hi, David. Um, look, we're going on tonight. And rather than having one of these arguments that we have, I thought it'd be nice if we just have a truce. And I said, yeah, absolutely. Two minutes into it, he's like, yeah, what about sectarianism? You said this. You know, and uh, that, that was who he was. I thought, well, you know, if you want to be like that, then then that's cool. Um, where I maybe, you know, I didn't do the Michelle Obama thing of when they go low, we go high. <laughs> you know, when he went low, when he went low, I went vicious. Um, <laughs> so that was maybe, you know, in terms of being a good person. Um, I, I don't know if I if I passed that test, but he just. The problem is the, the, the someone that spears is he, he doesn't care, and therefore you can't win because you care and he doesn't. And the second he gets you to react, he's won. And yeah. I didn't realise that at the time. And it was only uh, one of the things that I suppose that that <laughs> that God gave me. It's, it's maybe not the best thing, and I'm sure it's cost me a few friendships. I, I'm very good at identifying somebody's weak point and their insecurities right. and being able to focus in on that. And with him, very quickly, I realized what it was that he didn't, that he would be, you know, smug and condescending when, but how you got him was to question his intellect. He hated that. And once I realized that, then it was, it was easy. Right. We'll move on to David Murray again. We will, what was, obviously back then, you you spoke very openly about having kind of meetings with him. I think you'd done a series on it on heart and hand. What was your first impressions of him when you met him? Um, he was incredibly well built. Um, I hadn't realised that, but because of his disability, um, he should really, I, I think, he, he, he said to his once, doctors had advised him to use a wheelchair, and he didn't. He used crutches, so his upper body was incredibly muscled you know right. you, you could see him like rippling under the under his shirt and i hadn't realized that about him um he's a commanding presence you know he's one of these guys he owns the room i mean he literally owned the room uh, uh, yeah. at the stage i don't know but um <laughs> he 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 is incredibly charismatic and you are aware of that um straight away uh, he's, you know, he, he's, he's the hell of a life and he has been this, you know, extraordinary person with this extraordinary life story. So you had to, you had to respect that. And again, there's an inbuilt thing of he's, he's the owner of Rangers and, you know, that's going to, that's going to factor into my thinking um, because there is a, a sort of inbuilt respect for that position, no matter who has it. Um, and that caused 
you know, you, you, you have to kind of lose that when you're having a conversation with them, but it's difficult to do so. And again, you know, the fact is I, I've grown up with this guy and here he is little, right in front of me, you know, calling me names. Uh, it, it, it was a bit of a, a head spinner. Um, so yeah, you, you are aware of that this is not a normal run-of-the-mill person. You know, this is an extraordinary person with all the things that that entail, but this is somebody who is out of the ordinary. Um, and I think if you are like me and you are ordinary, then you are aware of, of that going in straight away, that you're in the presence of somebody that is um, a bit different. Yeah. Obviously, when kind of just when you kind of get to the stage where you're meeting David Murray, uh, Helicopter Sundays happened just as a fan, just to explain that day, how memorable a day that was. I'll never be topped um, because I, I just don't see. I mean, I thought 2003 when we won the league, you know, the Arteta penalty would be the would be the ultimate, um, and then just two years later to that because it was done. You know, it, it was done, and then to have it change so dramatically in the final minutes of the season, so unexpectedly as well, yeah. was. You know, uh, I, I've never had a feeling like it. even Fiorentina, as amazing as that was, and and watching the team run at at, at the Etihad that time, yeah, wasn't quite the same because even throughout that Fiorentina game, you know, you are aware that it could happen because you are you know watching the game and it's still nil nil and you still have that hope. I had pretty much, and I've spoken to a lot of players over the years. We had pretty much given up that hope. At that point, you know that we we just we were beginning to try and get acceptance um, that we hadn't won the league, and then it switched around so dramatically that it was just uh, unbelievable. The rush was something that you know I, I don't necessarily think anyone likes. But the only thing I could see in, in sport that's comparable is maybe that Arsenal '89 one, right? Where, but even then, they're up against the, their opposition. They're not relying on a favour. Yeah. Um, and it was just, uh, I, I've never experienced anything like it. And that, that night was just <laughs> wonderful. Absolutely. Do you remember, do you remember it? Oh, I, I um, remember, um, you know, I remember that day pretty, pretty splendidly. You know, we were, <laughs> um, we were in a, a, a pub in Shawlands and, and what the pubs were doing in Shawlands because rather than showing both matches, the pubs all got together and agreed, we'll show the Rangers game, you know, you show the Celtic game. And and then the place was going barmy. I mean, just, you know, the staff were breaking chairs, you know, it was just extraordinary. Really? And then you you walked outside and you could see who was who, you know, because the Bears had these huge cheesy grins in their face and the Celtic fans had like thousand yard stairs. It looked as though they just stepped off the plane from Nam, you know. Um, and then just uh, you, you were meeting up with all your friends and you would see other bears and just start singing. And then we headed over to Ibrox and then out for a drink. And it was just, uh, it was wonderful. Yeah, it was, it was a, kinda, one of those memorable days you'll never forget. But McLeish's reign ends kind of the season after, obviously poor results in the league, third place. We get to the last 16 in the Champions League, but... Obviously, you're kind of in the inner circle, not the inner circle, but you're, you're, in, you're with the man who's making the decisions. When did you first hear of Paul Le Guin? 
Um, from him or, or just in general? Just in general, but obviously Murray, whenever, when kind of Murray mentions him as well. I'm convinced, um, and only only he will know, I, I'm convinced that Le Guin, believe it or not, was, was, was a fan-led thing. And I don't mean by me, uh, in case anybody thinks I'm, I'm trying to claim or claim credit. I was going to say claim blame is probably more accurate. Um, but when, when he first went, because we were there the day, we had a meeting with Murray that morning, um, the, the day that the EC announcement was made. Um, and what happened is, is we lost to Hibs in the Sunday in the Scottish Cup. Three yeah. 0 at Ibrox, yeah. and there was a sort of protest that happened immediately afterwards. I remember that, and I wasn't at it. I wasn't at. The, I didn't go, but it was just a spontaneous thing. And the next thing, you know, Murray was on the phone. Said, that was you. You did that, and I'm no, I didn't. I wasn't even there. He says, "Aye, but I can see Ding. I can see Dingwall and Vandenacker." I said, "Well, blame them then." <laughs> and I said, "But you know, I'm, I'm literally in the pub." Um. Uh. But he, he then said, "Right." I want you coming in for a meeting on the Monday. And uh, he cancelled on the Sunday night and he put it back to the Thursday. Right. And then, you know, the, 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 but he, he, he was just, he was raging. But we went up to play Aberdeen on the Wednesday and Eck played 4 2 4 again and we got beat. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that changed things because then we went in to see him on the Thursday. Now, I think if we'd seen him on the Monday, he just went through us. But we went in to see him on the Thursday and he went, ah, he's, he's going. Like, so that was his opening line. We walked in and it was like, hello, lads. Ah, he's going. Um, and we kind of talked about it and he said, can we let him stay at the end of the season? And I was like, well, the fans will wear it if you announce he's going, but they won't wear it. It'll get ugly. You know, if we come in, if the fans are coming in at the ground on, on Saturday, and you haven't announced he's leaving, then it will all get ugly. So he's like, right, no bother. Um, and in terms of Le Guin, when he first mentioned managers, he named a few, but, um, or rather he, he kind of named, like, uh, we mentioned, he asked us our opinion on managers, and I'd seen Le Guin mentioned, you know, by this stage it was being mentioned a lot on fan message boards and phone yeah. ins and stuff and people were talking about him and I said Le Guin and he didn't crack a light and Murray would have you know yeah. he would he, had it been happening he would have I, that, that's just who he was right yeah. he was he would want you to know that he was doing it you know and he would just kind of wink or whatever So and he, he didn't crack a light the name meant nothing to him and I don't think that he did and I think that he then started to get it became one of these like, fans started saying we should get Le Guin. And papers picked up on that and said Rangers fans want Paul Le Guin. You know, as, as happens, Rangers fans will talk about Paul Le Guin. And I think then Murray went Paul Le Guin because journalists would phone him and say Paul Le Guin. And I think that that's how it happened. So that's the thing about rumours. People don't think that, you know, daft rumours online affect anything they do. Um, yeah. Because... It it, it it becomes like a reflected thing. What happens is, is, as I say, you know, fans start talking about it. Papers pick it up. Um, fans then say what's in the papers. And that's, you know, and it becomes like a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. So uh, the, the first I remember him talking about it was, you know, just before he announced. And he said, you know, I, I think we've got the Gwen. Wow. 
and he's like, aye, we've had to do a lot of work on it. And he did, he'd had to do a lot of work on the deal to get him to get him over the line. And he phoned he, us. We he's were a, having... Just sorry to interrupt, but he's, he's a big name in European football, Paul Le Guin at this point. Like he's the Leon. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, he built uh, a very good side. Like, but I just can't carry on what you were saying, sorry. Um, so he, he phoned us, actually it was Bain, tell I, right. the night we were doing our 2006 RST dinner, um, was it Autumn Moore, and Bain phoned us and he said, look, we're going to announce Le Guin tomorrow, but if you want, you can announce it at your dinner, because right, okay. we're on pretty good terms with him around about that time, we'd helped him out with a few things, and we, we announced it, and you know, the next day it was in all the papers, because Murray had, had told all the papers, so he, yeah. um, it wasn't like there was any any kind of harm done or early reveal or whatever but um yeah so like when i ran and i credit to him you know he, he, he pulled it out the back and he loved that kind of stuff that that was that was a sort of david murray that's what he thrived on you know doing those kind of deals yeah. um but obviously it didn't didn't work out why do you think it didn't work out i think like when had underrated the scottish league um uh, he's not the first and he won't be the last. I don't think he'd realised it was quite as difficult to do. Um, I don't think he was able to communicate particularly well with the players who were already there. I don't think for a second that he would have come with the budget that he ended up with. Yeah, I was just about to lead um, up to that because I don't, yeah, we'll touch on the kind of story that probably you've you've told a couple of times about who his first signing was going to be. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, but as you say, I've, I've told a few times, you know, when Murray was telling us about Le Guin, he said uh, his first signing is going to be a French under-21 goalkeeper, who at the time would have been Steve Mandanda, who right. went on to play for various, you know, big sides. Um, and it clearly was, and it was Lionel Letizia. So, yeah. um, the... the one of the things about Murray that I always felt was if he told you something, he believed it at the time, he would pass a lie detector. Yeah. Um, but then you would say to him, well, you told us this. And he'd go, no, I didn't. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and again, he would pass a lie detector because he'd convinced himself. And I think that he was just such a powerful guy in, in his world that if ever he said something, then that was a fact. And nobody really challenged him on it. So I think that's what happened here. And, and you know, there's no way Paul Le Guin pitched up thinking I'm going to sign three players from Austria Vienna. He, nah. he just, he didn't, right? Um, and he, he got there and then pretty quickly he was like, nah, nah, this isn't for me at all. And I think it's kind of well known now. He, he tries to quit in September. Yeah. And Murray persuades him to stay. And, you know, he he he, he was... He just he wanted to go, and you know Murray knew it would be a disaster and um, embarrassing and whatnot. But it, yeah, it was he, he didn't want to be there, and that's why when people talk about the whole Ferguson versus Le Guin thing, it would have been different had it been a genuine choice. But it wasn't. Le Guin didn't want to be there, Aye. and that's why. And that's not to excuse Barry Ferguson or say that he did everything right. I'm just being honest and say that when people have said I would have kept Le Guin they couldn't Aye. but obviously when Le Guin leaves is there really can I, any any other choice obviously who comes in as no. the fans choice no, he, Was he, had it all, he had it all teed up no none he had it all and again you know I've, I've, I'll give him credit for this he had it all done um, once 
he knew about the situation with Lee Gwen and Ferguson, and once you know it become clear, then he sorted everything before any of it went public. Lee Gwen was going, Walter was coming in, it was all done, um, and nobody else was was considered. No. Yeah, and Walter comes in that season, obviously kind of steers the shot, brings in a couple of good players, but the season after. I would say it's probably the best season I can remember in, with Rangers. Just talk us through the run to Manchester. Obviously, you're, you're the fan spokesman at the time. Just talk about the, the memories for that season because it was an unbelievable season. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, obviously, we had to watch as they had the, the run to Seville and I think that you know, we were all sick of jealousy because I, I didn't think I'd see a Scottish side in a European final again um, and then they did it and then you, you just wish we did something like that um, so then to get it and it, you know to be in Manchester and to be what it was you know we all the hundreds of thousands of bells there was was just incredible and I mean the season was was wild it was amazing it was tiring it was you know even as fans I think we were all knackered at the end of it it was just yeah. a, an extraordinary set of circumstances um, and the, you know the, the the team they just fell short in the league. I think they pretty obviously would have won it had it been a normal season. But um, I don't think any Rangers fan would trade would would, would have traded that that European run for for the league that year, especially not with with going on to win three in a row after it. I think was yeah. was quite uh, you know it was apparent that we were the best side. It just. You know, and look, you, you don't. I don't think any Rangers fan would, would call us the best side that year. We understand whoever wins the title is the best team. We get that, but I think we all were, were pretty confident heading into the, the following season. So that nah, was it was remarkable. And again, you know, just I'm I'm pleased that I got to experience it. I'm pleased I got to you know take my dad to the game. I, I was really fortunate because I applied for tickets um, before. The Sport and Lisbon game. I'd applied for tickets after the Verde Bremen game just right. to wind up some Celtic fans in my work. Because um, the day after the Verde Bremen game, they all come over at my. I was still half cut for the night before, <laughs> and they 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 came over into my office at work, and they're like, "Ah, you were lucky last night." I said, "Lucky nothing. I'm so confident we're getting to the final. I'm going to apply for tickets right now." And they were like, "Go on." Then I did, and then like I forgot about it, and a week later. I got the email saying, oh, you have got tickets to the UEFA Cup <laughs> final. So I was probably the only person that the second that penalty went in was like, I'm going, you know, and I, and I, I, and I knew. So I, I, I didn't even worry about the ticket scramble. Brilliant. Uh, I'll just, I'm going to say these three words and I don't imagine you remember them fondly. We deserve better. Yeah. Just explain that. It wasn't my that. fault, but... That was um, that summer. We'd gone out early to Kaunas. Um, people might, might remember. Yeah. And it made a bit of an arse of it, actually. We'd, we'd done kind of what Celtic have done this year, actually. The, we thought we'd gamble on just getting through and not bother bringing in players. And then after we went out, we brought in players. But we, you know, had gone for a European final, gone out to Kaunas. Yeah. Um, uh, and it was just uh, debacle. And, and some fans... Uh, I, I don't want to say that they were in a singing section. Like, That's not fair, but, but certainly they put up a banner saying we deserve better. Okay, right, fine. So a few months later, um, 
Murray makes this weird announcement that we have to sell Chris Boyd to Birmingham, remember? For yeah, I do, yeah. Pounds. yeah. And uh, he said, we're not in financial trouble, but if we don't sell him, bad things will happen. <laughs> All right, okay. Um, and even at that, you know, I, I get the blame for this, but what had happened is uh, Scott Vandenacker had, had written a piece that he'd circulated around the trust board where he'd said, you know, I'm thinking about we should issue this as a as a press release. We deserve better. And it, he listed all the things, and there was loads of stuff in it. It was about two pages, and we never issued stuff like that. So there was some debate about, look, it's too big for a press release, but we could put it on the website and just put it as an article. Anyway, phone goes one morning in the house, um, and it's it was Neil Cameron, the Daily Record, and he was we were still talking to the Daily Record back then, and he did, hello David, you know, blah blah. Have you got any? quotes about this Boyd thing and I said ah you know it's kind of endemic of the situation it doesn't make any sense how can we be selling a top goal scorer and he said well have you got any any more on it and I was like well look I've got this thing I'll send you and you can pick you know you can pick out quotes from it I said this is something that the trust board are going to publish anyway so there you go a week's close the phone do me a favour next time I need one cool sends him this thing don't think anything of it. Next day, Jesus Christ! Um, it was like a bomb went off, um, uh, and just you know, phone red hot. All the other papers, you know, all the TV, all the press won't talk. Murray message for him, raging, you know, um, and yeah, I mean, it was it was just wow. Talk about. Uh, accidentally setting off a, a nuclear bomb and you know again it's possibly not really realising uh, how not realising you know just just how much attention was on us at the time you know as, as supporters trust maybe not realising that we had built up a profile yeah. to such a degree but, I mean, the, the record ran about five pages on it that day, and then it was just non-stop for a week. And, of course, Murray came and said, well, you know, they're not exactly captains of industry. Now nah, you're right, man, I'm not, but I've never fucking sunk Rangers either, mate. So, you know, one each. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he, he, he came out with, uh, and he went for me. Yeah. 100%. Personally, you know, he went for me personally. Um and it was bad. Um, and he, he had like high-profile supporters were phoning me, kind of dark mutterings. And uh, he got some, you know, it, it got really bad. I, I don't want to go too much in it, but it got really heavy um, yeah. personally. And, and as I say, that was the, you know, at work getting told that, you know, he'd, he'd been on the phone. And uh, it was just, it was bad. And it was really bad for about two weeks. Um, um, and I mean, really, like you know, not sleeping bad. It was it was awful. And then sort of came through it, and of course, boy doesn't go, and we go on and win the league. And he plays yeah. three scores. Remember against Dundee yeah, United. Yeah, yeah. And of course, you get people saying things. You know, they are ah, you. You must be raging. No, of course not. I'm a fucking Rangers fan. I'm over the moon. Um, the whole reason we said that is we were worried that it wouldn't happen. You know, but uh, funnily enough, though, we had a meeting uh, that summer with Walter was there. Yeah. And, 
yeah, I totally just threw Scott under the bus. What well, I went, Andy, did you write that? We deserve better. I went, no, he did. And because uh, what? Because terrifying. Yeah. Um, but he, he was he was really cool, you know. Um, to his, but we were just, you know, we were scared. We were scared we're going to sell Boyd, and you know, the league was going to go away. And he, he understood that, I think. And it's a lot easier once you're sitting there, you know, that they've won the title and we're happy and he's happy, you know. Yeah. But. Also, you know, as it went on, and you remember Walter's thing about the, the boards, you know, the, the banker running the... Yeah, I remember that. I was just going to lead on to that as well. Like, we'll Yeah, when, when he said that, he was, he was kind of chatting. Um, he he realised then what we had been doing, and, you know, and I think that that, that was, was when... I think that that he began to see that we weren't adversarial to him yeah, uh, and, and why we were doing this um, sort of came out, you know, and he, you know, that, I mean, when he said that publicly, it was to try and, and get, you know, a reaction. It, it was kind of a bit of, uh, ex, you know, internal politics going outside. And I think he realized then that we were on his side. Um, yeah. But I just, just you know, not a, not a fun period. When, when you, when somebody who's, you know, an incredibly powerful figure in society decides to have a go against you, you realise how, how much power they have and how little you do. Um, and uh, it was, it was not good. Was that, was that kind of whole period a big kind of reason that you decided to leave the trust? Uh, well, I mean, yes and no. I mean, I was, I was sick of it. Um, but a large part of it was that I had a kind of breakdown, I suppose. Not just because of that, but I mean, I had a whole lifestyle change uh, the following year. Right. And, um, you know, yeah, career change and I, I stopped drinking and uh, I got divorced and a new place, new, um, just basically all, you know, changed my life almost entirely don't get me wrong I'd, I'd blown the fucking thing up just before it wasn't like I just decided one day it was like ah I don't have anything right cool uh might as well start from zero then um and you know as I was I was kind of getting used to, to a new life I said to them look I'm I'm gonna stop doing this but thanks and they were like no please please stay on to the end of the season I'll stay on to the the trust I know which is the March and this is the September I'm telling them, I say, that gives you six months to get somebody else in. But yeah. my my wife now, Sally, um, we were we were away that, that January in uh, Liverpool for a weekend. And the phone went, and I went, oh, and I just, you know, put it back down. And she went, oh, you're not answering that? I said, no. She went, who is it? I said, it's a guy, Scott McDermott from the, the Sunday Mail. I said, I, I, I can't be fucked talking to him just now. I'll be on for half an hour. I'm no going to bother. She went, isn't that supposed to be fun? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I said, it should be. It should be cool. It should be fun. But I'm just sick of it. I'm just, I'm done with it. I don't want to do it anymore. And she's like, no, I understand. So I knew, you know, that, and I was, I was just utterly, utterly sick of it. And I think that people ask me a lot during the, you know, the tens, why I didn't come back or get more involved. And, and it was that. I just, I didn't have anything left. I didn't have anything um, uh, to, to to contribute um, in terms of support or activism, politics, and what that. And also, and I still feel this, and that's why I don't get involved in it now. Is that I'd sort of done that, and whatever 
<laughs> whatever minor influence I may have ever had over people to get them to agree with me or the trust or whoever had gone. I'd yeah. used up whatever it was, and I still think that. So that was like a big reason why it was, you know, going to take. I'd done as much as I felt I could do. And unsuccessfully, remember, that's another thing to remember. People say, why don't you get more involved? I was like, oh, what? And, and do as well as I did the last time. Fuck, yeah, that'd be great. Let's get somebody in that might actually be know what they're doing this time, eh? Um, and, yeah, it was, it, it was just, you know, it, it was a long time. And, and one of the mistakes was that I was the kind of face of the trust, right? rather than it being a group. Right. rather than it being a collective. People didn't think the RST said this. People thought Edgar said this. Right, okay. And that was yeah. part of the problem. Um, and again, that was something that I didn't necessarily want to do. And I just, I, I wanted to, to, you know, step back, have a bit of peace. Yeah. So you move on from the trust and you kind of start, you start Heart and Hand, which is the fans podcast. Just talk to me how the idea came about and, what was the kind of first and the first thoughts of people who eventually did kind of come on the podcast with you? But you'd a you've you've always had a close kind of connection to a lot of fans. What was their kind of opinions on you starting kind of fan media? Well, it was nothing as uh, as as organised as that in terms of a thought process. What it was is, um, as I mentioned, I started a new career and I was basically starting from scratch. So I was taking loads of contracts and anywhere in Scotland really to to get experience, you know, right, okay. experience in this new field. So um I don't drive, so there was a lot of long commutes, you know. Yeah. Um and and you know you get kind of bored listening to just music. So I I got into podcasts around about that time. That was the first that I'd I'd started listening to them. And they were just really becoming kind of more popular about this time. And um as I say I had long journeys so I would download loads of different stuff and there, there wasn't anyone near as many as there are now so yeah. you know it, it, you kind of looked about and you were like right, okay you didn't have you know the angels ones you the, the, there wasn't the, the availability of them and now you know people have got that choice but but back then you didn't so i would listen to stuff that maybe wasn't necessarily stuff i would listen to you know like, like, and the main one that, that was there was an arsenal podcast Right. I thought was was that Alan Davis did it, and it was really funny. And I'm not an Arsenal fan, but I enjoyed it. And from that, there was a Tottenham podcast by the same same company, um, right, okay. Phil Cornwall did, and I, I listened to that. And it was really funny as well. And I, so I would say to my mate, she should listen to this. You know, it's a good laugh. You don't you don't need to be a fan of Arsenal Spurs, but you know, you get some interesting stuff as well as you know, there's some good football chat, but it's funny. And um, I said, you know, we. Somebody should do something like this for Rangers. And my pal Robbie went, well, you do it then. And I'm like, I don't, nah. <laughs> you know, I, I'm just, I'm done. And he's like, well, you don't need to do the stuff you've done. And yeah. what he correctly identified was, he said to me that, look, you're sick of having to talk about sectarianism and, you know, finances and all the shite. And I get that. He said, so, so do this and just totally different. You know, have a laugh. And one thing I knew, once I started to think about it, um, and again, this was probably, I wouldn't have done this a couple of years before, but once I kind of got sober, I, 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 you begin to realize that the only thing that stops you doing stuff is you. 
Um, doesn't mean you'll be successful at it, but the only thing that stops you trying it is you. And therefore, I was like, yeah, okay, I'll give it. I know how to put I, I would do podcasts in my work. I worked in social media, so I knew how to do it. Yeah. Um, and I was like, right, okay, cool, yeah. Um, and I just I thought, yeah, that, that's what we'll do. We'll have a lot. And, and I knew my friends were funny because, well, or rather, I thought my friends, because they made me laugh. Um, and, and again, I knew that there was stuff that just was no chance of getting into the mainstream media, right? It just, it was a closed door. Um, and that's the whole growth of alternative media, not just fan media, but alternative media is that the traditional media was sort of sewn up and it was, you know, you were getting what they gave you. They weren't asking you what you wanted. Um, and I said, well, you know, I'm going to do the kind of show I'd like to listen to with my pals because there was nothing that reflected, I thought, the experience of being a football fan. Yeah. Because you put, you put on Radio Scotland or Radio Clyde and it was all aggro and depression and po-faced and angry. And I thought, that's not, you know, I love going to the game and I, I love having a laugh. And, you know, so do all my pals and so do all their pals. So why is, why is this always sound like that? And I thought, we're, we're going to go completely the opposite way and, and, and that's what we did Brilliant uh, When you start Heart and Hand you've mentioned before about uh, obviously tr- I think the company that was doing it was trying to get advertising from Rangers Yeah what Was was the relationship bad then? Was, was it a bad was, oh, yeah. I mean, was it because well, of who you, was, who you were though? Yeah Yeah It was entirely because Bain was still there and Right okay um, Yeah basically what happened was the, the, the two podcasts I mentioned there Arsenal and Tottenham they were done by a company called Playback Media so what I did was I, I got in touch with Playback Media and said look I want to do a Rangers podcast um, you know this is David you know, this is who I am and I've I've got some experience in the media so I'll be able to get us some publicity at the start, you know, phoning them journals and stuff. And they were like, I cool, right, do a yeah. pilot and we'll decide from there. And we did it and, you know, here we are, 10 years later, still doing it. Mm-hmm. So um, there was all of that. And then they handled pretty much, I still to this day, I, I basically deliver them a pod. And then everything that happens on the, the free show that we still do is them, right? right I, don't, okay. I don't, I'm not involved in, if there's a sponsor on it, I'm not involved in that. Uh, graphic, any of that is them, right? I just yeah. deliver them the show every week and then it's down to them what they do with it. And that's always been the relationship and it's it's cool. So they um, they come back to me and they said, do you want to laugh? I was like, sure. I said, we asked strangers about advertising and I burst out laughing. And he was like, all right, you, you know. I said, I can imagine. Um, and he said, it was all good to go. You know, we'd arranged it with a marketing girl. He said, but then the thing came through. Um, and we asked and they said, oh, it's because it's too sectarian. Now, their pod is not sectarian, nah. right? I'm not fucking stupid. Because <laughs> even, you know, even if I wanted it to be sectarian, it wouldn't last five minutes. Nah. It would get, you know, um, it, it would get shut down. And I, I know that. So the idea that uh, we were sectarian was clearly a lie because we weren't. And it was because it was me, and it was you know Bane. I hate that wee prick. So <laughs> fair enough, you know the film is mutual. So it, it 
it didn't get we didn't get to advertise at Rangers, which is odd because you would have thought at that time particularly they could have done with the money. Yeah, I'm just about to lead on to that as well because that's in 2010 because it's the 10-year anniversary. I listened to the pod last week, by the way. It was excellent. Oh, thank you. Uh, 2011, David Murray finally sells the club. He sells it to Craig White. What's the... That name probably brings back horrible memories. Hmm. Uh, which are, when do you first hear that name and are you the same as me do you hear that uh, do you hear that name and then hear the following Craig White's a billionaire from Monaco that, that's based in Monaco yeah I was like everybody else you know I heard various names over the years and then I remember Andrew Ellis remember him yeah um, well he'd got in touch with me when I was still at the trust when he was trying his but then he was involved in the White one because he phoned me um, and he's like, Yo, Craig would like to meet you. And I said, Nah, I don't, I'm not involved in this anymore. Right. To Dingwall, you know, I don't, I'm not, um, thanks, but no. Um, and then he phoned back a couple of months later, he said, oh, but the podcast, and I'm like, No, even so, thanks, it's not what we do. I, I don't yeah. want, I'm not touching this, you know. And, um, the you know, the stories come out, and I was like, Oh, cool. And then the takeover got done. And I think even after all my experiences with Murray, I didn't think he would have sold us to a con man. You know, I, I just... Do you believe the story that he was duped or do you think that was just a Murray, no, no. A Murray no thing shit. of defend, first, defending himself? First time I met David Murray, the first time I met David Murray, I walked into the room and he went, David Edgar, you're, this, this is your date of birth. You were born here. Your mum and dad are called this. You're married to this person. You work here previously. You worked there. And I'm like, right, okay. And he's like, just to let you know, son, I know everything. So he was able to find all that out about me, some wee ditch yeah. from, from co-winning. And he didn't know who Craig White was. My arse, no. Was so do you, so do, you think, do you think he was just that desperate to get rid of it that he would have sold it to anybody? He didn't have a choice. It wasn't his decision. Um, yeah. At that, but you know, David David Murray couldn't send it for rolls in a paper at that point with the, the bank telling him. So no, it's not. Yeah. It's nothing to do with David Murray at this stage. Um, right. And his ego will never allow him to admit that. But right. okay. um, it was it was quite clearly um, he knew. Uh, I always say it's a wee bit like you know the Americans leaving Vietnam. You know they knew it would collapse. They just wanted it to be long enough. That they could say, oh, well, it's not it, it was fine when we were there. Right, um, okay. And it was the same here with us. Um, unfortunately for him, White crashed it a lot quicker than I'm sure he was expecting, but nah, he knew. Um, and I'll never, I don't care if he ever comes out and says that, I, I will never be persuaded that that wasn't the case. So, um, like everybody else, you know, just, and remember, I'm deliberately distant yeah. from this at this point. I'm, I'm enjoying kind of life and, you know, New relationship, new job, and sober, and it's a big thing when you you know when when you're sober after you know drinking for as long as I had and and clear of drugs as well that you be you know well fuck me look look at this place the world and there's all this stuff you haven't noticed so my head was kind of ah, flowers and you know daffodils <laughs> and stuff so um I was I was maybe probably not in that headspace anyway you know yeah. and Mark. We'd, we would do the pod every week. Mark was still very involved. Mark Bingwell, Paul was still very involved. And I would 
So what's yeah. this guy like? And he's like, and I'd be like, that bad. He's like, aye. Um, but even then, it wasn't quite as bad. But Mark said to me after a couple of months, he's like, can he, can he find his money? So what do you mean? He said, when we go to, because you get these, these people, I don't, this is not, by the way, any dodgy, but you get financial investigators. Yeah. That, you know, for any transaction, if you're going to deal with somebody, you can go and, and they can, you know, try AC, but we, we can't find us these billions. We don't know where it is. And by this stage as well, that you've got the, you know, remember the transfer bids? Yeah. You know, yeah. you know the player rated at 2 million, Rangers offered 150 grand. And, you know, after a couple of months, Mark was like, no, this, is, this doesn't seem good. And then later in the year, he's like, this is, this is bad. And then I remember about, Two weeks before we went into admin, Mark went, we're going into admin. I'm like, wait a fuck. He's like, we are going into admin. Like, no, we're not. That'll never happen. But, you know. Aye. Because I remember when, obviously, the first BBC documentary comes out, and it basically, it basically just tells us about White's business career before, and it obviously says he was banned as a company director. Even then, I cannot believe that nobody can't find that out because it's not, it, it didn't seem a secret, it didn't seem a secret. Like, I just didn't understand it. it, it when you go. It, again, you know, and uh, I'm guilty of the thing that I complained about earlier was, did I really want to believe it? Did anybody yeah. really want to believe it? Um, so there's that, um, first of all. Then there's, you know, there's a weird relationship between the Scottish press and the powers that be in this country. There's Murray. There's there's a lot of complicating factors. But yeah, yeah you know, when you when you strip it all away, um, it was this weird situation that allowed this to happen. And look, I don't I don't pretend to have all the answers yet. I don't think the definitive history of this has been written yet. No. Um, I, I think that it'll it'll be a, a wee while, and it'll take you know a proper financial journalist who can put together everything and understand everything before we'll ever truly find out what happened um, with it. But it was just an appalling time to be a Rangers fan. So obviously the Gwent administration, where, do, you, do you remember where you were that day? Like, Yeah, I was on a train. I had a day off from work and I was visiting my parents uh, in Ayrshire and I was sitting on the train. I got a text from uh, a friend of mine, and he said, uh, Rangers going into admin, and I was like, right. Because I knew, you know, I mean, Mark had told me that it was yeah. a lie, so I knew it wasn't bullshit, I knew it wasn't, wasn't a lie. Um, and then, you know, the, the next few months were, were the worst. No matter, the, the, you know, as bad as it was with the spivs, and it was, uh, this was, yeah, I'm, I'll was just, Every day seemed to bring a new kick in the balls for us. Um, uh, it was just, it was awful. And where did you, where, when you hear the story about the, the, the money that White used came from Rangers fans, what was the, what was the reaction to that? I think that once, you know, once the toothpaste hit the tube, then these revelations come in. It was just, as I say, it was like one appalling thing after another. It yeah. was just every single day seemed to be something else. And then 
you know, we went through that summer. You come back and you've got, you know, Charles Green there. And again, you're kind of thinking, right, okay, hopefully, you know, things are better now. Um, and then that turned out to be another fucking spiv that was in to try and rape us for everything he could get. Um, and then, you know, you, you we, we can go through it all. And then in that period, there was just these horrible times. And then you've got, you know, the 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 likes of fucking Somers and these people and, you know, Ashley and, and whatnot. And it, it was just, it was constant. And that's maybe why I, I get accused a fair bit of being a bold shill these days, which I always find really ironic. Um, but yeah, maybe I am kind of fairly more understanding of them than I would have been before all this happened because yeah. they make mistakes, right? Oh, and anybody who thinks yeah. that, that, that we don't criticise them when they bugger up doesn't listen to us. They just have decided that we don't criticise them. But I don't think that they're out to actively harm us. No. And that hasn't been the case yeah. um, for a few years. So, um, you know, I think that at least they're, they're trying. They, they won't always get it. Um, and we'll criticise them when they get it wrong. But I don't get the impression that they're actively trying to hurt us, which... Uh, you know, these people were um, for their own gain. And, and I'll never really understand it either because uh, I'm not a captain of industry, as David Murray <laughs> told the world, but you could have made so much money at Rangers. You know, I, oh, I, I, definitely. I don't see what, I don't, you know, Mike Ashley, business genius, I don't see what, how his strategy with Rangers has been better than making shitloads of money out of them. I've never, yeah, maybe just me. So if I was to say to you, who's, who's the one person you pinpoint the blame for the whole thing, who would it be? Who was, who's the reason Rangers, get in, Rangers went into liquidation and had to start again for the, the third division? That was muddy. Um, no matter what, anybody, you know, there were people who were uh, involved in it. And when I say that, there will be people who got up saying, oh, but you gave us some great years. Yeah. I don't care. You know, I, I, I don't care. It's a wee bit like saying, ah, oh, well, you know, up until the iceberg, the captain of the Titanic had given us a really smooth ride. Um, there are some <laughs> events that are just so big that they ruin everything else in your legacy. You know, Tony Blair, I'm sure, would like us to remember everything but Iraq. Yeah, but exactly. Life, life, life doesn't work like that. Yeah. Um, and all these spivs and con men couldn't have come in. Had Rangers been properly run, had Rangers not done some of the stuff that we'd done. So, you know, there, there are, there's plenty of blame and there's plenty of hate to go about. Uh, and it's not mutually exclusive to say that I blame Murray for all of it happening. But it still doesn't mean that I don't wish Serious L on the likes of Green, White, you know, all of those guys, various banks, various... Um, uh, various... Uh, what do you call them, administrators? You know, yeah. I, I, there's, pl there's plenty of blame to go about. But at the end of the day, David Murray was in charge of Rangers and he took us up to that chasm. Yeah, I don't think he did it deliberately. No. Um, again, something else people have, when, whenever I've, I've said this, they go, well, he didn't mean to. And I'm, I'm sure he didn't. Um, but, <laughs> but when you're in charge of something, then you're entrusted with the responsibility. And, and it's a wee bit like what I said earlier about me. Um, I failed um, 
I have to accept that. I can't say, I well, but if you look at, you know, I did this and I did that and it was right. You know, now, at the end of the day, you get judged on what happened. And David Murray did something to Rangers that was worse than anything anybody from Celtic could have ever done to us. And, and for that, I'll never forgive him. Definitely. So, when obviously, when the Patreon, well, before Patreon, but yeah, the third division kicks off, you're still doing the podcast. And it was, it was a breath of fresh air, I think, for a lot of, a lot of fans because we were getting, I can, not a funny side to it, but it was, it was different because it was, but what was, there was no relationship with the club then, obviously, because of who was running it. Um, yes and no. Um, there was no relationship uh, with the people then, but obviously we, we would kind of know the people who were trying to come in. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, it was... We didn't want anything to do with, you know, the Spivs for obvious reasons. Um, uh, despite, you know, they would reach you every so often and fuck off, basically, was, was the, the message. Um, no, we didn't want anything to do with that lot, clearly. But, you know, we were always there to, to kind of help and, and assist if, if it, people from without wanted to talk to us, you know. Um, and certainly Mark was was very involved, and if he would come to us, he was like, I don't want to make it sound like I was having daily discussions with Dave King or John Gilligan or whatever, because I wasn't, but, yeah. you know, if, if if Mark could come to us and say, could you do this, we would, you know, we would do it. But we were very conscious that there was a lot of wailing and, you know, because the, the, there was a lot of misery to go around back then. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. I remember, I remember one day Scott and I drove down to Annan to watch us, and we got into the ground that clearly hadn't been built for this many fans, and you couldn't see, yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you you literally couldn't see, and we had to climb a fence to see the game, and Scott's like, "What the fuck are we doing?" I'm like, "I know, I know, you know, just what is this?" Um, and it was. You know, for us personally, it was a case of if we don't laugh, we'll cry. And yeah. I think that there's enough anger in, you know, other places they can get this. So we were very much, not light-hearted. And if you listen to the, well, we were light-hearted, but I mean, if you listen to the pods, if we were rubbish, we said we were rubbish. If yeah. we were, you know, when there was a pod we did after the, the good guys lost the, the first EGM. Uh, and, you know, the, we weren't ignoring it or sugarcoating it. But we also knew that there was space to have a, you know, to try and cheer people up a little bit. Um, and, and we were, that was what I think people liked. But it did begin to evolve a little bit um, as we got back to normality and we became, it wouldn't, it, 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 it's not the same. that You know, there's, when Rangers are losing 3-2 to Aloha yeah. in the, the Ramsden's Cup from being 2-0 up, yeah. People maybe don't people maybe don't want an hour on that. No. You know? And we got that and we would, you know, have a laugh and a joke and then we would do, you know, other stuff and, and we would slaughter them at the start and go through them, but then we would maybe like go off and daft absurd places. But now that's not really as appropriate. But we've always just evolved. We've never sat down and went consciously we are going to do this, and now this season we're not going. It's never ever happened. We've never had a meeting 
like that. Um, it, it's just that it kind of evolves into what it is and what feels appropriate. And the reason for that is we are Rangers fans. So yeah. if it feels appropriate to us, then there's a fair chance it feels appropriate to other Rangers fans because we're just the same. So yeah. that's what's happened. And then what happened was with Patreon. It was 2017. Um, I'd been at in this job for a few years and I saved up a few bob and um, got uh, offered, they were often very generous um, voluntary redundancies and right. I was I was shat. I was just beaten down really um, and you know I'd, I'd not been well uh, at one point. We'd, the only time I've ever had a break from pod was, was three months because due to an illness I had and I said to, to my wife at the time um, she was just going back to to full time employment as a management consultant. She'd she'd been running her own business and it kind of set up. And and she said, "I'm missing the buzz of you know day to day stuff, so I'm going to go yeah. back to that." And I said, "Well, look, I've been offered this. You know, I've got some money, so uh, put aside as you know, and and with this money going in on top, I can take a wee bit of a career break, look after the dogs, become a house husband." And she's like, "Yeah, go for it. You know, you've you've supported me through." starting the business so I'll do the same for you right okay all yeah. good and then after about six months she's like look you're not doing anything <laughs> you, know, you know and it's true um she's like you, you're, you're literally just you know you're getting up in the morning watching tv going for a walk coming back in watching tv going to bed and she was right and she said you know you you, you need to do something and I said no I do I do so I'd had this idea about I'd always had this idea about wouldn't it be cool if there was a kind of place for Rangers fans where there was a daily news show and there was, yeah. you know, like regular fan breakdowns of games and there was tactics and there was stuff about our history and there was stuff about, you know, and just all of that. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we could do that? And of course, could technology had evolved to a place where we kind of could. And I said, well, why don't I start this? I said, this is the time. It might work, it might not. Right, but I'll give it a go and we'll see what happens with it. And Sal said to me, yeah, cool, that works. Um, give it a go. And said to some of the boys who'd been involved, obviously, you know, do you want to do this? This is my plan. I'm going to do this. And these are the shows I've got in mind for it. We only, you know, four or five at the start. Yeah. Um, and I said, right, we're going to do it. And if you look at the amount we charge, you know, it's one ninety nine. Yeah. You know, people oh, yeah. can and, and do choose to pay more, which is really kind of them to, to support us. But it was always a, a nominal amount, really. Um, it's 50p a week. You know, with all due yeah. respect, I don't, I, I certainly don't talk down to people about it. But, you know, it, it's not, it, it's not bank breaking. And that was always the desire. Um, and I thought if we can get 200 people paying £2 a month, that's some pocket money for me basically right. um and i'll and i'll do this and we'll get the boys and the idea was believe it or not was five hours a week mm -hmm. um and if you you know the original website said you know we'll provide you with 25 hours of content every month jesus christ I think we do that in three <laughs> days now and straight away within about a week two thousand people signed up uh, and it was like fucking hell <laughs> so that changed the dynamic as well that I was like, we've got 2,000 people, we need to provide a service now. Yeah. Um, 
and we need to do so. The other thing, the other big idea I had was going back to the point I made earlier, but I know that there was a lot of talent in the range of support. And I know that because of the landscape in this country that they don't get, you know, the, the media opportunities aren't available there. So yeah. the idea I had was that we would act, this was the original idea, we would act as a sort of incubator where guys could come to us and girls and say, I've got an idea for a show. And if it was good, I'd say, cool, we can show you how to make a pod. Because yeah. we, you know, we know how to do it. And we can provide you with, if you like, a starter audience. Because it's hard to find an audience when you first start. Oh, yeah. um, that if you're on our site, you at least know that you're getting exposed to some people. And then after a couple of months, if you then want to go, thanks, we're heading off to do our own thing. You know, yeah. you, can, you can take that show that started off on Heart and Hand and go and, you know, do it. So I, I won't own it. It'll be yours. Um, and that's still the case for all of yeah. our, our podders. They, they, you know, well, technically I do own them, but <laughs> you know, I, would, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't sue them if they used them elsewhere. But that was the plan. That everybody coming in, that anybody can do a show on Heart and Hand. Um, you know, if it's, Pish, we're not letting you on air, you know, we'll yeah. politely say. Or if it's just, uh, if it's nothing original, then we don't let you on with it. But the idea was people will come, do a show, if they might need a wee bit of instruction on, you know, how to edit, you know, just, yeah. just practical things. And then we'll let them, if they want, and they build up a wee bit of an audience through us, and then they head. That was the plan. Yeah. And then after a few months, I noticed that, you know, We'd got a, quite a few people had come in to the original guys as well. And I noticed after a couple of months, they're all staying. So I sort of said, you know, guys, you know, it's time to leave home, you know, go out there and spread your wings. Because the idea was that you might not like heart and hand, but eventually there'll be enough Rangers content out there that you don't need to listen to Clyde. You don't need to listen yeah. to Radio Scotland. You can get your news from the club and you can get your analysis from fans. And it might yeah. not be me, you might not you might not like me, but that's cool. You can but there'll be all these other guys. That was always the plan. And then after a while they were like, nah, I think we can achieve a wee bit more here together. Yeah. And I thought, oh, great, you know, I'm delighted to, to hear that. And again, no real plan. It just sort of evolved and it kept going and it's kept growing and it's kept growing. Um and we've added more and more portals. But the open door policy still remains. You know, if anybody wants to do a show, come to us and say, you know, I've got an idea for a show. This is what I want. And great, you know, we'll give you the opportunity to go on and do it. And, and the door still remains open to, to do that and then piss off, you know, to build yeah. it to a certain thing and then head and go and, and do your own thing. Um, we've always been keen on that, that if people want to do that, that they can head off and do their own thing. But most people have, have tended to stay because, you know, they, they then... <laughs> the community aspect's always been huge for us. You know, we've always been very keen on that. And also, like, I make the podders interact with each other. Like, once you join, you don't get to kind of live in a bubble. Yeah. Um, and that way, there's a reason for that, is that how can it sound like a group of friends talking if they're not friends? Right, okay. So, so they all have to interact um, with each other and they all have to get involved. And that's the only thing I ask people to do. Now, 
you know, if you live in Australia, it's going to be quite difficult, but you can still interact with people through social media, et cetera, yeah. and get to know each other. And that's the only thing that we ask of the podders. Um, and, you know, and, it, and it's continuing to grow, and we're, we're very grateful for that. Brilliant. It's, do you think as well, like, you've said this before, you know, privately, but do you think the newspaper industry and the, that industry is dying? Whether or not I think that isn't going to affect the future of it. Yeah. Um, but, so therefore, I'm not coming at this, you know, to, to plunge a knife or anything like that. I, I don't have the power to do that. Yeah. I do think that we've seen the peak of it. Um, you know, the, the day of, of, of newspapers selling umpteen millions and influencing elections and stuff like that, I think are over, yeah. yeah. And I think that... I th there used to be this thing that if you did a, a list of, you know, jobs that people don't like, lawyers always seem to win it in the old days, you know what I mean? But I think if you did it now, journalists would be on there. Really? And I think that it's, oh, definitely. And I think it's, it, in a way, it's sort of sad because, you know, I, I used to love reading the papers yeah, and, and whatnot. But these days, there's, I mean, in terms of what's in them now, because the industry's been paired to the bone, they're, they're just... You know, it's all content harvesting. They don't have yeah. reporters, you know, that go out there and do that. And I, I don't know if maybe multi uh, people can now segment in in the old days. You know, when I was growing up in the old days, but you know, even when I was growing up, the, there was four channels. You know, there yeah. were the movies that were on. There were the videos that were available in the video shop. That that was your entertainment choice. You know. Um, there was, you know, the, the, the radio stations that were available. And that was it. And you didn't, there wasn't really a dramatic thing for Clyde or Radio Scotland to compete for because if people wanted to listen to Scottish football radio, it was Clyde or Radio Scotland. Yeah. Sure. You know, same with the papers. It was a case of people are going to buy papers. You just need to make them buy yours. Yeah. yeah so you would have, you know, Daily Record versus The Sun or, uh, I don't know, Times, uh, you know, Times of London versus The Daily Express. You know, you would have, yeah. but they were going to sell papers. It was just a question of how many. And that's all changed now because these days you can absolutely segment your own interests into one thing. You, you can listen to Spotify and never have to listen. You don't need to listen to radio to hear music. No. You know? You can, if you like heavy metal, you can just listen to heavy metal exactly. um, all day, getting new bands uh, all the time. You can watch a, a, just the stations you want to watch. There's hundreds. You, and even then, if you don't like it, you can go online, you can go to YouTube, and you can just pick out stuff that you want to watch. You don't have the thing in the old days where you would watch other things because it was all that was on. Yeah. That doesn't happen anymore. And that, I think, has, has maybe, maybe you can't have a mass market media tool anymore. Maybe people do just want to go, with, with my Rangers news, I want it to just be about Rangers. I don't want to be reading about St. Marin and, you know, I, I don't want that. That's not what I want. And that's maybe what we provide. Now, are we ever going to do, you know, 5 million subscribers? Probably not. Let's 
be honest, right? Yeah. Um, it, it, would, it would take a hell of a growth. So we're never going to be the size that they were, but neither are they, is my no. point. And the difference yeah. is we, we can exist in a cottage industry. They can't. Yeah. And I think that you're seeing it. And it, it does feel to me, yeah, that it just... I don't, I don't know if they can shrink to an, an, a level that they can still exist at. You know what I mean? I think that they will just, after a while, there's a certain amount you need to do to be able to produce something that's worthwhile. And now when you see it's just clickbait, and I hadn't seen a paper, honest to God, I hadn't seen a newspaper in years, or read one rather, and my wife brought one in a couple of months ago, and I was like, this is shite. There's, you know, yeah. there's nothing in here. Because they don't have what you and I would term as journalists anymore, because they've all been let go. What yeah. they have are guys whose job it is to go out and get this shite, this advertising, just to fill the paper. And it's like, at the time when you need to be producing a quality thing, your quality's going right down. So it becomes a vicious circle, and it becomes like a snowball going down the hill. So no, I don't. I don't. Long, long way for a shortcut, but I, I don't think that there's a long-term future for it. There will, though, be something else. Now that's yeah. what that entails. And again, this is something. What we do isn't going to last forever. I'm well aware of that because I worked in social media, yeah. and everything changes. You know, when I worked in social, there was always something new. You know, I remember when Facebook was cool. You know, and it seems laughable now. Everybody. Yeah. Even people that use it hate Facebook, right? But there was a time when it was the coolest thing in the world, yeah. but it went quickly because the world moves really quickly now. Yeah. Then there was Twitter was really amazing and cool. That's changed as well. Then it was uh, um, Snapchat. Uh, not, uh, yeah, Snapchat. Yeah, Snapchat right? yeah. Um, yeah, that was the coolest thing in the world. Now it's TikTok. Aye. How long will that last? Then it'll exactly. be, you know, everything's changing rapidly and constantly and something new is coming along all the time and something will come along that replaces us. I, I totally understand. I hope it's not for a while or I hope yeah. rather we can evolve with it. But the problem that I think traditional media in this country had, and I understand this because it had, it had run for hundreds, literally hundreds of years uh, in the print industry and for nearly a century in, in other media with the same rules and they never thought it would change but it did change it changed rapidly and they didn't adapt i hope we can adapt time will tell yeah just when you say that as well like when you're saying about heart and hand like it's how do you see rangers as a club now compared to what they were when you first started like how big's the progression been on the park and off the park um Again, you know, the, the, the world has changed and football has been no different. Um, I think that the way that it's gone to, you know, the top five leagues um, yeah. and the money being concentrated in them and then the money being concentrated even among an elite at that level makes it very difficult for us because we will unfortunately never have that TV audience that will generate that sort of money. No. And, you know, Rangers and I... I you know, gritted, gritted teeth admit Celtic will always be hamstrung by the league that we're in. Yeah. That's that, that's just a fact and there's nothing you can do about that. So the the idea of us signing the England captain, for example, is, is you know, which was possible when I was a kid, isn't possible now. That's just the reality of the, the, the situation. In terms of the institution, though, you know, Rangers, I think, are 
are always going to be just such a huge and integral part of our lives and, and our kids' lives. And, you know, that it's always going to be there. And I think that, as I mentioned, I was spoiled. Um, I'm not now. Yeah. And you know, I'm de- desperate for a bit of success and I'll probably appreciate it more than any other yeah. piece of silverware that we've ever had. But I think that there is a, a, a lot of challenges still ahead for us. Um, I, I do think we're through the worst. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Right? I do think we're through the worst. We're not where we want to be yet. Um, and that won't happen until 55. But I at least feel we're, we're traveling in the right direction now. And I, I didn't feel like that a few years ago. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's different. Um, we're not we're not as big, I think, in terms of, and people will get annoyed at that, we're not as big in terms of what we can achieve anymore. That's not our fault, though. We're still a huge football club. We're still a way of life, and yeah. we'll always be that. But realistically, can we win the, the Champions League? No. But then... How many clubs can? Yeah, exactly. Maybe ten. Yeah. That's the way. That's the way football has gone. Um, that's not our fault. There was nothing we could do about that. That was the way football has evolved. I don't necessarily think it's for the better. Mm-hmm. But I think that Rangers will always be the biggest institution in this country, the most important institution in this country, and I think that it's important for us to protect that. And, you know, to call out things that are wrong when it happens, to be vigilant and to make sure that what we went through, all of us, isn't something any other generation of Angels fans has to go through. Definitely. Are you all right closing with some quick-fire questions as we reach the end? Sure, I am. Right, I'm going to just ask you one. Who's your favourite Rangers player of all time? Ali McCoyst. Ali McCoyst. Favourite game? Oh, uh, 3-1, Aberdeen, 1996. The Gaza game. Gaza game. Uh, this is one I'm, I'm desperate to ask you. One player that you, even maybe David Murray told you or anything, that Rangers had nearly signed that didn't happen, that you wish had played for Rangers? Uh, well, he did. Um, uh, the Joey Barton. In really? 2005, yep, David Murray told me that he was at Manchester City, you remember? Yeah, um, yeah. And he'd got into trouble, funnily enough. Uh, <laughs> who could have thought it? And David Murray said that we were just about to get him on loan, um, but couldn't get the deal done in time, which was a, a favourite of, of Murray's. We were that close. Um, so, yeah, Joey Barton could have been at Rangers in 2005. Of course, he did pitch up 11 years later, and he was shite, so yeah. it didn't really work out. The one, the one I remember, it was probably from about the same time, was, do you remember the Euro 2004? It was Switzerland had a player called Hacken Yakin. Hacken Yakin, yeah. Murray yeah. used him as a shield. Brought yeah. him over to a game when we got, Aye, was, we got was beat. It not, was it not an old fun game? Aye, I'm pretty sure he was Aye. a parkhead. Yeah. And Hacken Yakin sitting there, we're just about to sign Hacken Yakin. I'm pretty sure we ended up with Gavin Ray, which yeah. is a wee bit of a losing <laughs> We better look losing a tenner and finding a, a penny, but uh, <laughs> yeah, no, he, he was a really good player, Hakanyaki. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I was excited about that, was, never happened. Yeah, Euro 2004, he was just, he was class in that tournament. And I remember there was talk about he was signing for Rangers and he was in the crowd and I was like, that's, that's going to be amazing. 
but no, nah, it never happened. <laughs> uh, favourite artist and gig you've been at? My favourite artist is a band called The Hope Steady, um, right, okay. an American band. And the fa- my, my favourite gig I've ever been at was my other favourite band, a band called The Replacements. All right. Um, and they, they split up in 1990, but they reformed in 2014. Um, and they are both... The, the, the replacements in the whole steady are from Minneapolis. Right, okay. So they were playing a, a show at the, the baseball ground in Minneapolis. Um, and me and, and Sally and Robbie went. Uh, so got to see a band that I'd loved since I was a wee boy um, that I never thought I'd get a chance to see. Plus, you know, my, my favourite band probably of all time, supporting them. So that was pretty cool. Brilliant. Uh, what's an interesting fact about yourself that none of the Heart and Hand viewers will know? <laughs> uh, I'm not entirely sure that there's uh, any facts about me that they don't know by this stage of the game. What's an interesting fact about me? Yeah, I, I think I might be one of the least interesting people that you've ever met. Um, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was Scottish schools champion for Burns Recital nice. in 1988. So there you go. My Wally Wassell was a sight to behold. Brilliant. And if the Rangers hierarchy came to you, for the 150th anniversary and said you have to create a Mount Rushmore of Rangers figures, who would be on it? Struth. Um, I, the, the, the gallant pioneers is tough because obviously Aye. four lads, but um, Moses McNeil, Struth, um, Walter, and Willie Waddle. Brilliant. David, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on, mate. I can't thank you enough for taking part. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. No problem. Thanks very much for having me. Cheers. Thanks very much.